0: Hey, let's pray, and then we'll get at our message today. And we're still in this theme, we're still running uh, with this idea of being shaped. Like, as we start this new year, we want to start with our thinking of of what is shaping us. What is it that we're pouring into our lives or, or allowing to come into our lives intentionally or unintentionally that's shaping us it's influencing us that's dir- that's directing our our practice of life and and our practice of our faith so uh that's that's where we're at at the moment hey let's pray and in uh then we'll get into our, our work today. Lord, we want to thank you again uh, that we can come and you have given us your word to guide us. Uh, we're not left alone to work out how to live this life that you have designed us to live, that we can look and, and see what is what is the way that you have for us to live in this morning, as we've already said, we pray your spirit would be at work in our lives and our souls, revealing, illuminating truth, stuff that isn't even said from the stage, but we, it triggers some kind of truth there, uh, that you would be bigger than my own words and that uh, you would be at work in the lives of the people who are here. And we pray this again in Jesus' name. Well, we have. We've begun this year uh, of, of looking at what it is to be shaped, what's shaping us, and all that sort of stuff. And we started uh, our Summer Psalm series. We started by looking at being shaped by the Word of God, allowing the Word of God to be something that shapes us. And, and we based that in Psalm 119, and we looked at that. And we saw there Psalm 119 has as its overarching kind of idea that the Word of God ministers. And shapes the inner spiritual life of the of the Christian, for one of a better way of putting it. I know it's the Psalms, it's Old Testament, but that's essentially what's going on. And 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 that, in turn, as the Word of God, you know, works away there, that 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 helps influence, direct uh, our practice of life, our understanding of our faith, but more importantly, our understanding of God and who He is and what He's done for us, and how being in God's Word actually is a, it's it's like it produces delight in us. It's a delight producing exercise. Delight for God as we encounter him and, and, and then delight for his word. It's almost kind of, for want of a better word, addictive as you get into it and, and you keep going. And we saw there how also in the word of God he conveys grace to us by sharing his nature uh, with us and explaining and, and, and sharing with us his favor, his undeserved favor towards us. And we get this picture of grace and what it is uh, from the word of God. God and then we also saw how the Word of God reveals the basis for our confidence in in the Word of God as opposed to being having our confidence in say pop culture or or the latest novel idea or movement and God's Word brings this timeless eternal truth that stands forth out of heaven that stands forth out of eternity and it bears its truth into moments and movements of human history and what we want to do now over the next two weeks is look at um, how it, is that we're, how it is that we're shaping each other, how it is that those who are, who are being shaped uh, by the Word of God and we'll see in Colossians in two weeks' time, how it is that those who are being shaped by Jesus, how, how those people are then living out their lives and shaping each other out of that. And I know, like, for some of you Type A people, you're going, wait a minute, how come this is not linear? How come it's not Word, Jesus, and then we shape you're just dealing with someone whose head's like a bag of cats, so you just got to get over it. Uh, that's just how it worked in in my um, working of things out. But anyway, good news, good news for what we're going to look at uh, over the next two weeks, and that is that the New Testament paints a picture of how we can how we can do this, how we can shape each other, how it is uh, that we can uh, be engaged in this ministry, and something that I am calling and I'm. There's nothing unique about this. The ministry of one another-ness. And is like, are you making up words? And I'm like, yes, I am. Yes, the ministry of one another-ness. We live in a highly individualized culture where uh, self-expression, self-actualization, self-gratification are some of the most highly prized, uh, highly celebrated uh, values and principles that shape this culture that we live in and how we should approach life uh, to what what makes life or, or being able to live your best life. There's nothing groundbreaking or, or you know extraordinary in what I'm saying there. That's just common, it's just common knowledge. And it's the reason why, you know, this individualized society, like so when something like a pandemic comes along and then we have to try and encourage a whole country to to think in the best interests of someone other than the individuals of someone other than themselves, it's a hard sell. Like it's like, oh, we've got to start thinking of someone else now. It's a hard sell. We have been preached at and we have breathed in the air of an individualistic culture for probably as long as I've been alive. Like 32 years. Not true. Like about 50 years. You are the most important person. Your happiness and your significance. Why do you think that's funny, uh, Eva? In your significance, your personal rights are are the center stage of your little universe of one. Like you're just responsible for yourself. And making sure you're happy. That's the only thing you need to worry about. However, anecdotally and academically, uh, sociologists, these kinds of people, are finding that it's a cultural pursuit that has actually not led to an increased well being, uh, increased happiness and uh, fulfilledness, which is not a word, it's another word I made up, I think, in academic. You don't find that in their academic writings. Rather, In a culture of individualism that prizes the personal rights of an individual against any collective or community responsibility, things like depression, low self-esteem, loss of meaning, a lesser sense of belongingness, which is actually a word I read in one of these journal articles from a university, are increasing. These things are increasing and they're not going away. An individualistic culture appears to be a pursuit that has actually led to individual uh, fragility, uh, fragileness, uh, personal insecurity, anxieties, not, not human flourishing, not actually living our best lives. And it's not that the rights of an individual are a bad thing, they are a good thing. And Christianity is one of the only worldviews that actually has a sustainable framework for for having human rights uh, in in our thinking. They are woven into the creation story we read about as Genesis. Like we kick off in this platform. However, they, they have become and can become unhealthy, sinful, even sinful, as more and more they are shaped only by the fallen condition of the human heart, and they move further and further away from the design that we find in the Word of God. And they, be, and they can become destructive for culture and a community, which is what some writers are now saying. It's what they're, they're seeing in culture, but that's not even a new thing. That's not even a new thing. That's been going on for centuries. The Bible tells us uh, the historic story of how God entered into culture, entered into the human condition in Jesus to bring about a permanent and ongoing uh, transformation in culture and thinking that we could, that we could be uh, invited into. Pervading the New Testament is this development, this establishment of a community of people, and you can read about them in the book of Acts, whose living faith in Jesus as God's promised recreator of the human heart. Now, that's just like a, another way of saying salvation. I mean, you read about that kind of idea in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and then Jesus talks about it in John 3 and again in John 10, and then Paul picks up on it in Corinthians, and the writer of Hebrews taps into it that, that we are being recreated into something else. And in that, sees us live out a radically different culture of contrast in something described in the New Testament as the ministry of one another, of one anotherness. Where dignity and equality and needs and growth and support and care and hospitality, forgiveness and correction of others are not just kind of arbitrary preferential ideas, They flow out of the individual's unity with Christ and they get expressed in a corporate community. And we often hear the phrase that Christianity is a personal faith. And it is. It's it's, it's deeply personal. It's very true. But that's only like half of the story. It's deeply personal, but its goal is community community in which we minister to each other and shape each other and out of our own shared personal experience with Christ. The Bible knows nothing of individualism when it comes to faith and that's because the Bible itself, which describes life and describes faith and all these kinds of things, that it flows out of the heart and the mind of a God who himself is community who shares himself with us who himself ministers to himself and to us like that's the design script that's coming to us in the new testament the phrase one another occurs on a very regular clip in fact there are about uh, over a hundred occurrences of this actual word one another and, and mainly in the phrase one another and occasionally in each other that's how it appears. However, it's the, the sort of the 59 to 60, depending on what translation you roll with. We've rolled with uh, 59. Uh, uses of this phrase as a relational command. From, from a relational command, it comes from Jesus himself or some of the New Testament writers and apostles, you know, lads like Peter and Paul. In fact, Paul writes about 60% of these one another commands that form the framework and, and just build this picture For this ministry of one anotherness this 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 beautiful tapestry of what it is to move toward each other in a a new way perhaps the most well-known expression of these one another collections uh, is jesus's own instructions to his disciples there in in john 13 uh, 34 to 35 in two short verses jesus uses the expression one another with the command to love unconditionally and impartially and sacrificially three times if we claim to be in a relationship with Jesus then the outworking of that is this enhanced relationships with others Uh, we are to be this this kind of love that Jesus is describing here to one another or at least that's what Jesus says that's what he claims the unconditional loving of one another will be the evidence that you actually know what it is yourself to be unconditionally loved by Christ. Like you know what it is to have the God of the universe come in, look at your messed up, jacked up, pretty crazy life and go, yeah, I want to work with that. I want to, I want to journey with that. I want to labor with that. I want to transform and redeem that. And if that's been our encounter of that kind of love. That should shape how we move towards everyone else. That's that's what Jesus is saying there. If it doesn't exist, something hasn't happened. When it comes to writers like, lads like Peter and Paul, uh, it's perhaps Paul's instructions to the church in Galatia, you know, to bear one another's burdens. Like we all know that one, bear one another's burdens. That's probably his most common, come to mind one, that he's most well known for out of the 30. Of his one another thirty plus one another phrases, Peter has about eight of these, and out and out of his commands, like he's like, you know, loving one another, living with one another, serving with other, be hospitable to one another. He's probably the one top of mind one from Peter is that you know, greet one another with a kiss of love, and that's probably the top of mind one for him. And that's probably because Paul uses it twice as well, which I'm sure Peter's happy about being having to reference someone else. Wherever it's Jesus, wherever it's Paul, or whether it's James, or John, or the writer of Hebrews, these one another statements provide the relational environment for how we are to be shaping one another. Uh, in an expression and practice of our faith. like These things are practical. They're the outworking of things. Uh, it's done in encouraging uh, one another and each other, which is what the author of Hebrews is big about. Like three times, he's talking about getting in and encouraging each other. And as we do that, as we encourage each other in this kind of um, contrasting culture, then this is starting to bear witness to a world that's trying to pursue happiness in another way and saying, come and have a look at how it actually, really, effectually takes place. In fact, you know, I think it's a great exercise just to go through, just to read through these 59 one another instructions, and Steve has kindly printed them up there uh, on those um, banners where you can just read through them. And, and just as you read through them, like, just kind of meditate or think about them and ask the question. And Like, this could be it. This could be the sermon for the day. Like, this could be, let's stop and just do this as a practice and just think of thoughts in my head. But am I like this? How do I live out the instructions that I'm reading here uh, in in my church family, uh, in in, in my small groups, in in my family at home? How do I live these things out on what I post and communicate in my social media space? Because these things are first and foremost instructions on how Christians are to be towards each other. They are to shape what this community should look like. And then again, as I said, as that takes place, what is on display is this contrasting way to live, a new way to live, a contrasting culture of one-anotherness that should be a picture of human flourishing, of deep and genuine relationships. And these are behaviors that don't come easily, naturally, but they do come out of an encounter with Christ Like that's the origin, that's where they stem from. And out of an an overflow of a relationship with Jesus, they happen, but they're not done solely unto Jesus. Other people must be involved in order to fulfill them. They assume, these commands assume the gathered church. They assume a community of people who are living in this new way under the lordship of Jesus. And then out of that are in an active, vibrant ministry of one anotherness to each other. The picture of one anotherness that we see in the New Testament is a vision of who we are in Jesus, a vision of the community, of who we are in Jesus. All that the individual Christian receives and experiences in Christ is to be shared relationally with each other. Christians are to give a picture of what life looks like with God. Again, just on repeat in this message, it's this contrasting community of one anothering. And in this community, this family, this body, this spiritually alive uh, people. We do all this. It's happening because in a very real sense, we are members of one another. And Paul writes about this in Romans 12:5. He says, So we, though, though we are many, like there's lots of individuals in here, are uh, one body in Christ. And individually we're we're like we're members of one another. And from that reality, Paul fleshes out and talks about how the gifts are to be exercised for the benefit of, of one another's in this body. It's in in Romans it's a condensed version of what he writes about in bigger length in First Corinthians 12 on how individual giftings don't belong to the individual. They actually belong to the community are uh, to be exercises for the benefit of the body as a whole, for its edification, for its building up, for its flourishing. Gifts are not uh, given to individuals, or they are given, sorry, to individuals for the good of the community. They're not there to pump your tires up. Or as Paul writes in Ephesians 4.25, he writes, therefore, having put away falsehood, Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, like let's have authentic, genuine relationships, for we are members one of another. And Paul's point in one anotherness is that it's a symptom and an obligation of being in a living, transforming relationship with Jesus, like it just should be happening. The Christian life calls you into becoming living members of this beautiful picture that we see painted in the new testament it places you in the presence of one another for the ministry of one another so listen there is not a single person there's not a single person who walks in here that isn't playing a role in this that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 that there's level ground in a church community. And every person brings something of value to it. Like the hand doesn't say to the foot, like, what good are you? Or whatever, however he goes on. Because every person has been placed and purposed there by the Holy Spirit. So no one should come thinking, you know, what, what good am I? You know, I don't, I don't play piano. I don't preach. That's... That's crazy thinking. In fact, when, when that begins to happen by by people who think they're a little bit more better than everyone else, Paul just kind of gives them a clip and says, You pull your head in. At a bare minimum, that's probably a poor way of saying it. What you are it, when you come, your presence is encouraging. It's building us up. It's building us up through sharing your faith with us like we, we look across the room and we go there's another sister there's another brother another brother another sister another brother that, that that knows what it is to live this christian life that knows what it is to to try and live out a christian life and, and and work out what that looks like in a marriage and what that looks like in a in a workplace and what that looks like at a school or a university and we can look across and go they share a same experience that we will not get anywhere else like let's be talking like how's your week been what was it like at work? What was it like at you? How is it that, how is it that, our, that our life in Christ is just being smashed or, or coming out in these spaces like that? You don't get that opportunity anywhere else but when you're one anothering. So you don't need a degree or anything. You, you just need to be able to hold a conversation and have Jesus in your life. And you're a deeply significant, valuable piece of our community. That's... That's what we're reading here. You you don't need anything but a living, transforming relationship with Jesus to be able to be in the ministry of one another. The gathered church, whether it's in a church building like this, or it's in a home, or in a small group, or some other organized gathering, is where we get to live out this vision, this contrasting culture for our joy, for our edification, and also to bear witness to a world that looks on to the goodness of God One anothering is a living picture. That's what all the descriptions of the church are in the New Testament. They're living pictures of how Jesus reorders, recreates the human heart from chaos, the chaos of sin, into peace. To reorder and recreate a community of peace, of radical love, of service, of generosity, of forgiveness and accountability. And that picture doesn't get painted unless we actually one another together like how can how can we forgive one another where there isn't even a relationship with the opportunity to sin or to offend or do something harmful to each other that's what paul's writing about in ephesians 4 in the same passage there he says to for us to be tender-hearted to each other like like don't be proud don't be aggressive Like when somebody wrongs you, we've got to have this tender heart towards one another. Or how can we bear one another's burdens when we don't even know what those burdens are, let alone if someone's been actually overtaken by those burdens? We read that in Galatians 6. How can we share a burden if we're not actually journeying with each other's stories, if we're not having conversations about this sort of stuff, like we're we're not one anothering? How can we unconditionally and sacrificially love one another if, if we're at a distance to each other, if we're kind of like indifferent to each other? The local church and its expressions of community, like s- small groups and uh, coffee catch-ups, these kind of things, not, not, not just here, but in other places, are the primary context where we live out our one-anotherness, this one-anotherness that we find in Scripture. And all of these one-anothers, all 59 of them, are necessarily reciprocal. They are are a two-way relational setup. They are both ours to receive and enjoy, but they are also to be reciprocated and extended. The command to pray for one another demands not only that, that you pray for me, but that I would be praying for you. We read about that in James 5. The church does not simply exist for you to encourage me and pat me on the back, but for me to be encouraging you as well. And not just from here, but from being in your lives. You read about that in First Thessalonians. "We are not to be consumers. That's not the picture. We are to be one anothers." That, that is the picture. It's impossible to be devoted to one another, to honor one another, to live in harmony with one another, to admonish one another, to serve one another, to bear with one another's burdens, forgive one another, comfort one another, teach one another, show hospitality to one another, employ the gifts that God has given you for the benefit of one another, pray for one another, confess your faults to one another if we never or we very occasionally gather, see, or just hang out with each other there's no point to these 59 commands and I've only just rattled off about a third of them unless they are there to describe the, what those who are united in Christ look like when they gather. They only make sense they only cultivate human flourishing and develop faith and love for God in community or they don't work in splendid isolation. And so... How are we shaping each other? How are we, how are we participating in this ministry of, of one anothering? Do we desire to learn how to unconditionally love by being in each other's lives, uh, to, delight, to be delightfully inconvenienced as we bear each other's burdens, as we deepen relationships with prayer and hospitality? Is there a spirit fueled desire to become more like Jesus through the ministry of one anothering. Like as we start this year, how are we, how are we shaping each other? Does it, does it look like this beautiful picture that's being painted throughout the New Testament? And no doubt about it, the impact of COVID-19 has made this a very hard picture to paint. And indeed, uh, at times, and, and on, on some occasions, uh, there are still some circumstances where it's seen it's not wise and it's not safe to be one another in this tight community sense. But as this year opens up, it's our prayer for one another that we will engage with increasing measure in this ministry of one another. And, ma- and maybe, maybe you're not ready. Maybe you're not ready to. You know, be back in large groups and that just yet, or or come to church just yet. It's still not feeling safe. Um, You know, maybe you're not making just a preferential choice. There's there's valid reasons there. Then, then how? Then how? How can we be doing it if we're just not ready yet? Well, get on the phone. Ring, ring a brother and sister. Organise a smaller gathering in a home, maybe catch up for coffee. Go on the Walks, Go on prayer walks. These kinds of things. Get into a small group. And if you don't want to meet in person, do it on Zoom. I know we all hate that, but um, we we have to be intentional about this. The one thing we shouldn't do, the one thing we can't do, is neglect the ministry of one anotherness. That's what the writer of Hebrews is going on about. He's saying, encourage one another. It's hard work being a Christian in a culture that is driving the other way. Encourage one another, he writes. Spur one another along, he writes. Don't don't stop meeting together with one another. Don't stop shaping each other in our relationship of faith with Jesus that our hearts might grow cold, that they could possibly grow indifferent toward one another, lose that love that Jesus spoke of about one another. We're going to finish today with another one another passage found in 1 Corinthians 11, and it's found in the context of communion, the Lord's Supper. And after some conversations and instructions throughout the book, and in particular this chapter, this passage, about the picture of unity and equality and one anotherness that we have with each other, that we only have because of the the saving, transforming grace of Jesus on our behalf, that this meal is designed to, to keep at the center, like communion keeps Jesus and his work at the center of everything we do. So we don't get distracted and run off with some other crazy idea and put that in the center. Paul says this. So then brothers, which is the word of Delphoi, which actually means brothers and sisters. When you come together and eat, when you, when you come together in community and communion, wait for one another. Now this is not a command to make sure that everyone's out of the toilet or the musos are in place. This is a command about how we approach this meal. We need to approach this meal with a mindfulness towards one another. We need to approach this meal with a heart of service and love and encouragement. This table says, you are not here to become great in and of yourself. This table says greatness is actually found in serving others. Like this table doesn't exist unless Jesus has first served us. This table says that we shouldn't be people who run ahead in our own greatness and our own growth and our own program, but rather, as as we grow, as we mature, and as we notice others who aren't who aren't quite in. That growth yet, who might be weaker or struggling with their faith, we need to circle back around and pick them up. We wait. We don't just run ahead on our own program. We look and we see each other and we invest, and we wait and we circle back around. That's the intent. That's the thinking here. Don't be so indifferent to the people around you that you just don't care about them as you come to this table. And the reason is because this table is set by Jesus. This table is set by someone who waited for you, who circled back around every time in your Christian life, when you fall over, when you, when you kind of don't make it. Jesus is not going, well, you can't keep up, brother. Catch you later. Hope you make it. He's like circling back around. Yeah, I knew you'd do that. Let's go, Mason. So as you come forward and grab communion this morning... Maybe perhaps, uh, you know, stop and prayerfully grab a couple of these one another passages. Jesus has come as God's great heart changer, as God's great transformer of sinful hearts to change the condition of this heart into a new heart that would see people differently, see people as Jesus sees them and then operate uh, in that way. It's only possible that that can happen because of what Christ has done for us. We don't do that in our own strength. And as we drink and as we just think about this this morning, we are grateful for the life that Jesus has wrought in us and also invites us into. So we give thanks for that this morning as we drink together in the unity uh, of that common experience. Um, God, we want to thank you that um, you're a God who has a purpose, and that purpose is to bring us back into life with you uh, as you had intended it to be, and as the gospel goes out and as your spirit works in the lives of people and finds a home there and transforms lives and um, exposes the folly and the ruin of sin, and paints a beautiful picture of what grace and life with you looks like. That's found in Christ. We pray more and more that we would live that out in tangible, practical ways. Uh, that this week and the following weeks we would be thinking like, "How is it? How is it we live out what we have received and experienced in Jesus? How do I go and live that out uh, with my brothers and sisters?" Uh, that i journey with and we thank you that that is not something that we do in our own strength it's something that you you found a flame in us give us a desire to do Uh, we lean we lean into that more and more we pray these things in jesus name amen